actually my first job was to sort of babysit the iPhone SDK and then launch the iPhone SDK to the developer community. I mean, I didn't do it single-handedly, but I was like the main project manager for that um, that piece. And uh, it broke all of our servers. We had like 800 downloads within the first hour. It was a really transformative time. But I think that the lessons for me at Apple were actually around, when do you know what you know is true? Welcome to Behind the Stays, a podcast that shares the stories behind your favorite Airbnbs, boutique hotels, and hospitality brands, and the hosts, operators, and entrepreneurs who have brought them to life. Every Tuesday and Friday, you'll meet the military veterans, the retired flight attendants, tech entrepreneurs, the school teachers, the single moms, and the real estate investors who are all, in their own unique ways, shaping the future of travel and hospitality. Discover how these visionaries from all over the world have built chic cabins in the mountains, designed bohemian bungalows on the beach, erected eclectic off-grid and nature-immersed escapes, and so much more. Behind the Stays is brought to you by Spontaneous, the internet's best destination for last-minute Airbnb deals. You can subscribe for free at Spontaneous.com. And I'm your host, Zach Buzicruz, co-founder and CEO of Spontaneous. All right, friends, enjoy the show. So I met up with a few buddies a couple weeks ago for a happy hour, and we started talking about buying Airbnbs. Now, my friends are smart, savvy dudes in their late 20s and early 30s, and we all love discussing ways to diversify our investments, but few of us are interested in investing in real estate like our parents did. The whole like traditional single-family home thing seems, seems kind of boring to us, but we all admitted that owning a vacation home, or perhaps even a few vacation homes, was something that each of us was really interested in, something that we, that we all desire. Now, in my friend group. I'm the resident short-term rental expert since I host this podcast. So naturally, the conversation morphed into a discussion. And we were talking about whether Airbnbs were actually worth the investment, what people do about property management, how investors in this space think about design and amenities of these homes, uh, etc. And and that's when it happened. One of my buddies remarked, I just wish there was a way to, you know, try out the whole Airbnb ownership thing before actually pouring my life savings into a bungalow in Joshua Tree. His comment was truly serendipitous since I had literally just been acquainted with a new startup in the space called Summer, who helps investors do just that. And yes, you guessed it, folks. I reached out to Summer, and they were gracious enough to become a behind-the-stays partner. So I want to tell you a little bit more about their gradual ownership model. And I'm going to do so in just about 10 to 15 minutes from now. And I want to talk to you a little bit about why it's the smartest way to own a vacation home, especially if this is like your first vacation rental home. But first, Here's a quick teaser. When you partner with Summer, they help you find a vacation home that matches your criteria, and then they buy the home for you. Okay, so you pay a down payment for as little as 15%, and then get this, if after two years, you've realized that the vacation rental life just isn't for you, they will refund you your whole deposit. Like, no questions asked. Now, I really want those of you who've been listening to the show for a while, but don't own any of your own Airbnbs, or those of you who might like to have another one to two STRs in your portfolio, I want you to follow the link in the show notes below and learn more about how Summer might be the right partner for you to help you grow your business or to help you get into the space for the first time. So more deets to come soon. Get excited, folks. But for now, onto the show. Oh, and by the way, you can access the link, the special link to learn all things about Summer in the show notes below. But for now, back to the episode. In just a moment, you'll meet Margot Schmorak co-founder and CEO of Hostfully, one of the hospitality industry's leading technology companies. Margot started her career working in marketing at Apple during one of the company's most pivotal eras. She remembers the launch of the very first iPhone quite vividly, in fact, since she was the only person on the marketing team to not receive a phone, since she was just an intern at the time. In this conversation, Margot and I discussed the lessons she learned about marketing, startups, and company culture during her tenure at Apple, when the idea for Hostfully first came about, how Hostfully grew from a digital guidebook to a full-fledged property management platform, how much money Hostfully has raised so far, why she started a community for venture-backed founders who are also moms, the gaps she sees in the hospitality technology space, and so much more. This is an incredibly riveting and exciting conversation, friends. And without further ado, get ready to meet Margo. All right, Margo, we are we are live. Welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I'm good. So good to talk to you, Zach. 
Likewise, it's been, uh, we, we've been trying to connect for a while, so I'm super excited that we are finally making it happen. And I, I have so many questions for you. I am really excited for, for this chat because I've known about you and about Hostfully for, for a while, but this is you know the first opportunity that we've had to, to connect, and I'm eager to hear a little bit more about your story and how you built Hostfully, and then, of course, uh, eager to talk about what you guys have in store for, for 2024. We're recording this uh, right at the end of, of 2023, here we've got like a, a month left uh before before the new year comes which is crazy so uh yeah just excited to to dive in thanks so much for spending you know a little bit of time chatting with me absolutely happy to be here well i was uh stalking you on linkedin last night and just trying to you know get my bearings <laughs> a little bit more again i had heard a little bit about you but didn't know too much about you and i discovered that you actually started your career. I think you started your career, or at least very, very early on in your career. You were you were working at Apple, and I believe that you were working at Apple during the time where, like, the iPhone had like just launched, right? Like, it was like <laughs> I think iPhone launched in like 2007. You were working at Apple in like 08. So yeah, actually, I started my internship at Apple. It was 2006. Oh wow! Yeah. On on the day that the iPhone came out. Wow. And I know this because everyone else on my team got an iPhone and I didn't because I because I was the intern and I was so effing pissed. <laughs> I had my flip my red flip phone on the table and all the people had their cool iPhones because everyone sits down, puts their phone down, and I felt just like a loser. <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> it hey, was that, great. That's a memory that sticks with you, right? Like, yeah, uh, exactly. That, that, that's a fun fact to share at like parties, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I got one eventually. It's okay. I, I'm fine. But I do remember it was on the first day of my internship. Wow, that yeah. is amazing. Okay, and I was actually googling this too last night. So uh, I believe that the the first iPhone um, had like the the first. I think it was was it the three, and then the three S came or three GS or something like that. But um, the the very first iPhone, it was only four gigabytes, like, like yeah, four well, gigabytes it storage. Yeah, it was four gigabytes. There was, there, it was not 3G. It wasn't it 3G, was, okay. I think it was called Edge or something like that. Okay, I forget okay. what the name of the technology was, but and it only had native apps. Wow, that's right. Yeah. Oh, my mm-hmm. gosh. So there were only, like, I think nine apps or something like that that were, it was launched. It was a totally different device. It was basically an iPod that had phone service. Yeah. That's what it was. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I, 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 you know, don't want to spend too much time talking about this because uh, you've done cooler and bigger and better things <laughs> since. But but I do want to just understand, like, as, as having having that foundation, right, of your mm-hmm. of your career, really really starting off working for the most exciting innovative technology company, I think you know it's fair to say uh, of our day, mm-hmm. you joined at a very very crucial time in the company's history, a transformative season. Like, what was it like? Like, what what were some lessons or that you learned mm-hmm. during during your time there? Well, Apple is a very secretive place, so it's actually really challenging to learn about what's going on elsewhere in the company. Like you really only know what your little group is working on. And I was in developer marketing. And at the time, developer marketing was all about native Mac apps. Like it wasn't around mobile apps. And so actually my first job was to sort of babysit the iPhone SDK and then launch the iPhone SDK to the developer community I mean, I didn't do it single-handedly, but I was like the main project manager for that um, wow. that piece. And uh, it broke all of our servers. We had like 800 downloads within the first hour. It was a really transformative time. But I think that the lessons for me at Apple were actually around more like, when do you know what you know is true? Okay, so as you're growing up, you, you're in school, you're taught all these things, you're listening to people, trying to learn you know, from people who are more experienced than you. And at Apple, I was really unhappy. I actually quit my job at Apple. Um, mm. and I would have been a millionaire a couple of years later had I not done that. And I was actually fine with quitting because it was such a um, secretive environment that I couldn't ask questions, mm. but I had the questions and I, I was doing a lot of things in my job. I mean, I, I had some presentations go to Steve jobs. Like I did some really cool stuff while I was there. I don't want to discount that, but I also was like extremely bored and I was frustrated about not being able to ask questions. Mm. And, um, in, in now looking back on that time, I'm glad that I was asking those questions. I'm glad that I was sort of like frustrated. I'm glad that it wasn't a good place for me because if, if I hadn't been there and doing all those things and kind of frustrated, I wouldn't be the great, good entrepreneur I am today, which is I'm always like asking like, what's the point? Why are mm. we doing this? What is the implication? Like what happens next? Like I just, 
I'm a question asker. And I think like, you know, knowing that about myself early on and realizing that I wasn't a very compatible fit with Apple was like really, really good for me. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, they think actually like in quitting, I learned a lot and I never looked back and regretted my decision to leave, even though people at Apple and everyone else around me thought I was crazy. Actually, I asked like 20 people about leaving that job and everyone said, don't leave. You're crazy. This company's going amazing places. My dad was the only one who said, you know, do what, do what you, you want to do. And, um, I don't have any regrets about leaving actually. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that that's, that's like, that's like the people that like, you know, drop out of like Harvard or Stanford, yes. right? Like, <laughs> yeah, <basically. laughs> like there's like a special like breed of people that are like, yeah, you know, I got in, did some stuff and and then I left because I wanted to go <laughs> yeah. start some company or do something else. Like, <laughs> it's, like a, it's like an even specialer badge of honor than actually like working there. <laughs> that makes me feel more cool than just an idiot. <laughs> so thank you. No. Hey friends, I'm back with a little more information about this episode's sponsor, Summer. A quick refresher for you. So Summer takes the headache out of owning a vacation rental by taking care of sourcing, designing, furnishing, and managing your home. What makes Summer especially unique though is the pathway to ownership that they offer folks. So think of this as an option to try before you actually buy your Airbnb. They call this their gradual ownership model and here's a little bit more detail on how it works. So first and foremost, you work with the Summer team to find the perfect vacation rental. So this vacation rental would be in a market that you want to vacation in and is also in a market that makes sense for a vacation rental from an investment standpoint. Number two, Summer guides you through the whole discernment process of where, when, and what kind of home to buy. Then, when you do find the right home, you put a down payment of about 15% down, but Summer buys the actual home for you and holds it for up to two years. During this time, you can buy back the home from them at any time that you are ready, or after the two-year period, you can decide that you don't want the home and get a full refund of your down payment. Okay, crazy, right? But but that's how it works. <laughs> Number four. Summer also covers all the closing costs and fees associated with the purchase of the home, as well as furnishing and design of the home. This means you pay far less out of pocket than you would if you bought the home yourself from day one. All right, so right now you're thinking, this is too good to be true, right? Like how does Summer actually make their money? Well, I'm glad you asked. So during the holding period, Summer rents your home on Airbnb during the day that you don't want to use it or days that you don't want to use it. Maybe you wanna visit the home for a week or so each month. Summer rents it on Airbnb for the other three weeks. Now here's what's super cool. Because Summer makes most of their revenue from renting your home until you're ready to buy it, they're actually incentivized to get the best nightly rate possible and deliver the most exceptional experience to guests that stay at your home as possible so that they can earn those five-star reviews. This means that when you do buy the home, you get a short-term rental that's already ranking well on Airbnb and has a solid performance history, so you know what to expect during high season and low season. So if you've been looking for a way to beta test the whole Airbnb game, then this is your sign. Go and chat with my new friends at Summer via the link in the show notes below and tell them that Zach from Behind the Stays sent you their way. Oh, and one last thing, I forgot to mention, if you already have a vacation home or an STR property, you can actually bring it into Summer's network of homes. And there's a slew of benefits that uh, come from uh, you, you doing so that you can learn more from at the link in the show notes below. So there's so much more to Summer that I didn't have time to talk about today, like the fact that you can swap days at your homes for days at any home in the Summer network, you know, in case you want to spend a week in the Catskills and then the next week in Palm Beach or something like that. So I want to encourage all of you, just take 15 minutes and book a call with us summer team via the link in the show notes below and explore how you can get your first str or more quickly expand your str portfolio in just about as low a risk and as high a reward away as possible so you can learn more at gosummer.com forward slash behind the stays that's gosummer.com forward slash behind the stays all right guys back to the show so uh, i i have to ask did you did you always see yourself as as entrepreneur entrepreneurial or as an entrepreneur like where when the when were you bit by that bug not at all i grew up in a family my dad's a doctor my mom's a nurse practitioner all of our family members are like teachers like it's not we don't even have business in our in our kind of family <laughs> dynamic um I, I think uh, I have only realized that I, I like to ask the questions like later in life. And so it mm. did really like get me later. And I also never really wanted to be in charge. Like the, the need to like control is I don't have that. Um, mm. um, but when I decided to found Hostfully, one of the things that I realized was that I had to be 
in charge in order to determine culture. And that's what I really wanted to do. Like I wanted to shape a culture of a company Mm. in a way to create this amazing work environment and an amazing place where customers will benefit from people who are happy working there. Mm. And it was really um, that motivation that got me to, um, to want to start a company. And then I met my co-founder, David, and, and our values are, are just totally aligned on that. Uh, but I didn't really envision myself ever as a CEO or as an entrepreneur ever until I did it. Wow. Wow. And yeah, uh, between Apple and founding Hostfully, mm-hmm. uh, what were you doing? I worked. Uh, so after Apple, I left to go to a startup and that was really formative too. It was, I was part of the it was a company that was like pivoting and going through some kind of painful transitions of like business model and type of company. It was pivoting from being a social network. This was at the time um, where Facebook was just getting started. It was like 2008. And then um, we had a social network with, with like hundreds of thousands of users, but it just wasn't getting the engagement that was necessary. We pivoted to building on top of the Facebook platform, building applications. Again, this is just like super formative times for all these companies. So like, I know a lot about what happened with that. And then um, uh, that was a difficult business model too, because like, how do you make money and, uh, and just deal with the ever evolving platform changes where like Facebook would kind of eat up some of the functionality you were thinking about building, blah, blah, blah. And then um, we pivoted to making customized iPhone cases total pivot hard <laughs> products. I learned how to u- use a laser engraving machine and wow. like uh, build a manufacturing plant and like do like manage all the shipping and production of a physical product. Um, I also learned um, in that company, like the kind of management style that I don't like and mm. that I do like and uh, sort of like I think in that company, I learned a lot about like sort of the cutthroat kind of negative side of startups, which is like this, you know, you know, the side of like burnout, ultra competitive, like kind of uh, do things at all costs sort of to mindset. And also like where that works with different people. Like I was having, I was pregnant and about to have a baby. And I was like, well, how's a woman supposed to do this and like take care of their kids at the same time? It's just insane. Um, So I just learned a lot, but I, I, uh, I did that for a little while. Then I worked at service source, which is a, it's a big company. They were doing um, basically recurring revenue management. So it was like call centers to renew licenses for software businesses. And then that company, um, Oh, it took me like six months to figure out what that company did. I was like, so confused. (laughs) I was a mess for, for a while. And then I was like, wait, how does this work? Why do we do this? Why do we do that? And then eventually got promoted to head of marketing. It's a public company. So that was a big uh, lift for me. And I did all that before starting hostfully. So I really had this like and by the way, like before business school, I worked at an architecture firm. Like I've worked at like lots of different types of companies and yeah. I, I just, I love the exploration. Like I feel like I could work in any business actually for a little while and really enjoy it. Cause there's so much to learn. Why does this work that way it does? And how does that happen? And why do we yeah. do things this way? So I just, I, I just like love the exploration, honestly. Which honestly, I would imagine makes you an incredible entrepreneur, right? Uh, this this curiosity, right? And, and, and yeah. it, it sounds like, right, there's also this willingness to like, you know, roll up your sleeves and, and kind of do anything, right? Like try yeah. anything, be anything, like do do the job that needs to be done in the context that it needs, you know, it, it needs uh, to be done and and, mm-hmm. and and not not worry about like, you know, uh, whether or not this particular task is above you or below you or you know, like just, just do do the work, right? It, it, that's that, right. That's the vibe that I'm getting from you. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I always, when, when, when younger people always come to me and they say like, what's your career advice? I'm like, just do a really good job at whatever you're doing. Like be mm. the, the, be the, the, the best you can be at your job, whether it mm. is taking out the trash or mm. managing the financials, like be the best damn person you can be at that job yeah. and get there and then move on to do the next thing. But you can't, like, if you don't have that work ethic, you're not yeah. going to be approaching solving problems the right way. And I, but like, even now, like, I don't, I still think of myself as being bad at many things that I do, but yeah. I, I'm always trying to do the very best that I can. And I, I never have let go of that kind of work ethic. And I think that's really important. Yeah. Well, and, and I think it's, it's, it's also just not like worth work ethic, right? It's also just a, it's a humility, right? Of, mm. of recognizing that, Hey, ju- just because you think you, you, you're better than this or more capable, mm-hmm you might in fact be better, better than it and more capable, yeah. but it doesn't, it doesn't relinquish the fact that at this particular moment, in this particular time, in this particular season, 
this is yeah. your this is your job. Like this is yes. what you have been asked to do. So do it excellently. Yes, uh, and, and you I, can always learn. Like you can yeah. always even even if it's a mundane task, like you can always learn from it. Period. Yeah. And and I think this is such a blessing t- mindset to have because it means that when you're interacting with any person, like whether it's like a cleaning person at my house who's here right now. Right. Or like someone like who's helping me with my bags at the airport. Like you yeah. have this appreciation for the work that they do. And it, it, it make, it just puts you in a really like, like generous and kind of like thoughtful mindset so that yeah. you have a lot of like sympathy. Like I don't get angry with people. I don't get frustrated with other people and therefore I don't get frustrated with myself too. I mean, it's just, it's just easier to go through life feeling like everyone's trying their hardest. Yeah. Well, I want so. whatever you're drinking and whatever you're eating. Cause uh, I, I wish I could say the same, um, <laughs> but, but okay. I, I want to hear the story about hostfully. So where, where does the yeah. idea come from? Like take us back to, to the beginning. Mm-hmm. So, um, when I was thinking about starting a company, I thought I took a bunch of months off and I sketched up a bunch of ideas. And I even had like, I was actually thinking about like, how does it feel to do the company versus what's the company, what problem the company is solving. Mm. Um, and part of that had to do with the fact that I already had two kids. And so I was like, Hey, like I want a job where I can do this momming thing the way I want to do it and, yeah. and also run a company. Um, but I was looking at companies that would really motivate me. So, um, they had to be in education, travel, or healthcare. I just felt like those were the three industries that I could really get behind. So for a hot minute, I was CEO of an iPad, uh, education company for preschoolers. And then I was like, I don't want my preschooler on an iPad. <laughs> and then, um, I switched to, um, okay. So then I was like, just, meeting people as one does when you're sort of on fun employment. I was like, I, I left my previous job and I was trying to figure it out. And I met my co-founder and his kids went to the same school as mine. And he was iterating on this idea around the guest experience in his Airbnb. And I was like, that sounds like a terrible idea. There's no business model behind this. And it's going to be really hard. And he's like, oh, we can raise a bunch of venture capital and get affiliate revenue. And I was like, yeah, but still the math doesn't work out. Like, how's this going to happen? I don't believe in this market. And he was like, just, just come with me, like come to this Airbnb open thing and like meet hosts. And I was like, okay, I mean, sure. I'll go to France. Um, so basically we started iterating on the guest experience guidebook for Airbnbs and lo and behold, like people wanted to use it. And then it was like, and businesses wanted to use it and then they wanted to pay for it. And we just kept getting better and better at it. Um, and the business kept evolving and David and I share a lot of values around how we'd like to treat people, how we like to grow companies. And we hit at this amazing time when the market was taking off. This was in 2008 or I'm sorry, not 2008, 2014, 15, like 2008 was when Airbnb was founded, but 2015 is when like there was like a mature market where there was like an ecosystem and stuff. And so, um, yeah, we started the company then. And I was always passionate about the act of company building almost more than the product. Mm. And I think that now that I'm you know, I've been in the industry for a long time and I'm, I guess I'm considered an expert on, on these things, but like, I do love, love, love this like hospitality vibe that we're getting to, um, facilitate for, you know, tens of thousands of property managers around the world now. Yeah. And I'm really passionate about it. And I'm also really passionate about company building. Um, and I think that, um, as we've grown, I realized that the the byproduct of a great company are great products and great customer experiences. Right. Mm. And so like, like, and that's the renewable resource that we have at hostfully that I'm just so proud of, which is not that we have the best product today, but we have the best team and we have the best like thought processes. We have the best communication styles to work with each other, work with customers to be able to continue to innovate. Um, and I think that's like where you create something that is actually valuable. You know, uh, yeah. it's not about just like, the user experience of the current product necessarily. It's about like what you can do with it moving forward and uh, in the future. Which, which is, I mean, you know, maybe, maybe a little bit more common now, but, mm-hmm. but w- which, you know, at the time was, um, w- w- was not quite common, right? Like this, Mm-mm. this whole idea, right? It's like, okay, what's the product, right? Like what mm-hmm. it was all, it's, it's all about building, building product, right? It's all about like the GTM strategy, whatever it is. Exactly. And people, people like come third or fourth or, or fifth, right? It's like, yes, if we build the right product, we'll attract the right people. And, and you sort of like inverted that you said like, mm-hmm. Hey, let's, you know, find the best people and then we'll build you know, a great product. Um, yes. Which again, and, and, which, oh, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, no. And I was going to say like, we also have this lucky thing of having uh, my co-founder is the customer. 
Right. So like we never got off track. And I think that that's also super important. If you're thinking about getting started with any business, like you should be your customer at least for a little while. And if you, if you're not, then you will never gain the appreciation of what their experience is like. So it's just so important. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree with you more. So give us give us a little bit of history in terms of like what the competitive landscape was mm-hmm. uh, at, at the founding of Hostfully. Like was was Guesty around, was uplisting a thing? Like or, like like mm-hmm. who 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 were your initial competitors or were you guys one of the first to market? And then talk to us about how that dynamic has shifted as as the industry has just, you know, matured seemingly incredibly quickly in a yeah. very short period of time. Yeah. So <laughs> it's very interesting. In the beginning, we were just digital guidebooks. Now, Hostfully has two products. We have property management software and we have digital guidebooks. And the property management software, just for any listeners that are not familiar, does like the channel management. So yeah. you, if you use a property management software, that's a good one. And there's a handful of them, but not all of them are good ones. Um, they should have direct integrations with Airbnb, Booking.com, and Verbo. We, Hostfully, we are a preferred partner of all three. So we're facilitating bookings across all the channels. We're giving you a consolidated calendar with a beautiful like visualization of your reservations. We allow you to change your prices, communicate with guests, you know, in whatever way you want, whether it's text or email, automate communications, uh, manage all the payments. Like th- that's property management software. And then we also have digital guidebooks, which is like a mobile first, um, a mobile first website that basically communicates like local recommendations, how not to break your property, use the laundry, um, you know, like how to enter Wi-Fi code, all the important stuff that you need to like facilitate the guest stay. So <clears throat> that's where we are today. That actually, that product is actually the, um, the makeup of two separate companies. Originally we merged two companies together early on in our history. So I'll talk about the competitive landscape, like kind of in the context of that, but yeah, uh, uh, just, I just wanted people to kind of know like where I'm coming from now so that they can, that's super helpful. The no, I appreciate the context. Okay. So, uh, when we started though, nothing, I mean, property management software was barely a thing. You had companies like streamline and like live res Kigo yeah. that were these kind of old school property management software businesses that, um, were basically built by a property manager for their own business. And they were only built for like large businesses, right. With like multiple properties. So they didn't really, there was nothing down market for like an Airbnb host who wants to get started using other software besides Airbnb to do anything. It was really just Airbnb. Um, I remember early on though, there were a couple digital guidebook products. There was one called coral.life that's now dead, uh, that we thought was going to be a big competitor. They looked a lot like Airbnb, like they had the same pink color and they like (laughs) very design centric product, but they died. Um, basically like many, many, many companies have kind of come and go go while, while we've been around. And, uh, at some point, uh, probably like four years ago, um, no, yeah. Like 2019, 2018, I was like, man, we are in a race and there are a lot of other runners and I'm not that good at running. Like, (laughs) like we had a good, good team. We had, um, good customers, but we just didn't have as much money as everyone else. Uh, we didn't have like and any investors from Airbnb, you know, we didn't like have, we weren't like, you know, there were, there were some kind of darling companies with like founded by people who had founded companies before. And I was like, I don't know, like, I think this is still worth it, but like, we may not win. And what I've realized in the last like three or four years is that there's really been a major shakeout in the industry. Mm -hmm. And in a lot of ways, the financial crisis of, you know, it being harder for companies to raise money has served companies that are good, much better. Like Hostfully is a well-run business. We have never had tons of extra capital. We have always been super careful about our bottom line. We've been much more thoughtful with our growth strategy. And so like the competition went from like a little bit to like a ton. And now there is competition. There are a lot of companies out there in the property management software space, but they're much more focused and deliberate about what they're trying to do right now than they were before. And in our specific space, it has really cleared out. So there's been a lot of consolidation, companies buying other companies, private equity companies buying companies. Um, And, you know, now it's kind of like hostfully host away and guesty and, and Logify maybe, maybe, you know, like there's not a lot of companies out there that have the customer base, the product lineup, the relationships with the partners um, that are doing well. And yeah. so we're in a really fortunate position. And I, I guess like the t- I got lucky. I mean, I really acknowledge that like a lot of it has to do with timing and luck in the mm. timing. But I think also it has to do with just like staying true to who you are and not 
getting distracted or feeling compelled to like copy other people and their strategy because it probably won't work for you. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's been really interesting. From from like Fun. a from like a sounds like it. <laughs> from, yeah. From from like a product standpoint, um, and 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 feel free to even take this like the feature route, right? Like, yeah. What what do you think based off of your understanding of your competitors' products? Like, where where do you think you guys really stand out? And then and then yeah. where do you think there's there's some room uh, for mm-hmm. for Hostfully to grow in? Yeah. So, I mean, it really goes back to the heritage of the business. So our products are really work for those smaller scale property managers with like between one and 10 listings for a long time. We were the only game in town. We like, we're the only product serving those listings. Now there's yeah. serving those smaller property managers. Now there's some more options out there, which is good for everybody. Um, where we really shine though, is like if a property manager or a host, probably your, your audience considers themselves hosts. Uh, if yeah. a host is really like technologically, advanced, like they want to like trick out their system with like Zapier to like call to like another external software platform. They want to use like Asana to like automate different tasks and jobs, or they want to use like a Airtable, like no code stuff. Like we work really, really well with that type of um, user because we have um, a really easy to use API and our API has been well regarded in the industry for a very long time. In fact, we were the first with Marriott Homes and Villas to go live with them because our API is just so easy to use and mm. and and I wouldn't say like developer friendly, but it's like user friendly. Mm. Um, and so like that's really a sweet spot for us. And then also our price point makes it so that smaller property managers can actually stomach the price of property management software with us versus some of our competitors. Um, yeah. So we love those customers that are just like pushing the envelope on technology, want to do a lot of stuff on their own, want the flexibility and control over their own business to choose whatever software they want versus like having a lot of stuff built in and kind of making the cost of the product more. Um, so yeah, that's really our, our, our sweet spot. And we've had customers like grow their business from like three to like 60 on a, what you think us. It's really cool. Wow. Last minute cancellations suck. And that's why we built Ping. Ping makes it easy for guests to be notified when their favorite Airbnbs become available. Ping is a simple widget that lives on your website or your direct booking site and allows your fans and followers to sign up and be notified if their preferred dates become available. Here's how it works. Jimmy sees that you're booked the whole month of October, but he wants to be notified if any three night window in the month becomes available. Jen is a returning guest and she wants to be notified if any week in June, July, or August becomes available. In a matter of seconds, Jimmy and Jen fill out the simple form and they will be pinged if the requested dates become available. And as a host, you will immediately get pinged via email with Jimmy and Jen's contact information and requested dates, which enables you to build up your own database of guest email addresses. Ping is what the best Airbnb hosts use to maximize bookings. You can get access to our beta pricing with plans that start at just $39 a year at bnbping.com. Again, that's bnbping.com. And, and do you, do you think uh, one, one of my big, uh, I, I've, I've had, you know, um, pretty much everyone at least someone in the C-suite from the companies that you just that you just mentioned mm-hmm. on the pod. And one of my favorite questions to ask folks is around like the website builder piece because yeah. everyone, you know, in, in recent years in particular, uh, and a lot of people that tune into this podcast are, are really interested in sort of like building hospitality brands, right? And they're, they're mm-hmm. entrepreneurs. Like they, they want to build a hospitality business, right? That happens to list on Airbnb as opposed mm-hmm. to like, hey, I'm just like building a couple of Airbnbs and mm-hmm. I don't care about like the guest experience. Uh, you know, I, I don't care about exactly. owning the customer, right? Like those dynamics have shifted pretty dramatically in recent years. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I'm curious from from your perspective, it, it it doesn't it doesn't seem to me, anyways, right, that there is a leader in sort of the easy to build uh, direct booking uh, experience, mm-hmm. um, especially especially one that enables uh, a host and an entrepreneur to to kind of grow their organic search rankings, right? And, and actually own the domain. A lot of these are built off of subdomains of these types and, and whatnot. So like, what, what are your thoughts on, on why we haven't seen like a cookie cutter, like Shopify for short-term rental like websites? Mm-hmm. Like w- what is the big challenge here? Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is a great question. And it took me a while to figure this out. And also just um, a little secret for your audience. We're about to uh, launch a big upgrade to our own direct bookings website. I was just testing it today. 
And our new version is a lot faster. And just to your listeners, like don't discount performance because that's a really big deal when people are searching through listings on yeah. how quickly the photos load and you know what I mean? Just like how the page performs. But anyway, putting that aside, why hasn't the problem been solved before? Um, well, Hostfully, like all the other property management software companies, does not want to be a website builder. Mm. People want, like, if you want a branded experience, you do want to, like, it's it, brand is not about like the logo and the colors. It's about the overall experience. And so every company wants to do that on their own, and it it makes sense for them to build that page, that landing page, separately, so they can really make it feel the way they want. But um, what Hostfully does have, and a lot of other property management software companies have this too, are really, really good landing pages. So like the property page that you land on that has the photos, the amenities, the calendar, the booking widget, like that stuff should be really, really good. And we know that um, that stuff should work really well, not just on desktop, but also on mobile. Yeah. And, you know, I think for your listeners, like invest in working with a website builder. We we really love um, um, Hudson... I'm like Hudson Creative, Creative Studio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Ellie is great. Um, we work with them and a bunch of other partners to, you know, basically give property managers really, really beautiful websites for their properties. And then also, don't just rely on that booking website to create the brand for you because it also has to do with the guest experience. So, like, that should extend to all of the messaging, all of the guidebook that you're using. That should also be branded. I mean, Hostfully offers the best product out there for that um, that that you know mobile experience, and you can do so much with our our uh, guidebooks. There's a really beautiful. Ex, uh, set of examples. Actually, maybe I can send this link to you later yeah. um, where people can see examples of different guidebooks and they look radically different depending on what, you know, the brand of the host um, is the brand that host is trying to convey. So um, anyway, I just think it's like, it's a bigger question than just a website. Yeah. Although website is important. Yeah. 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 No, I, I, absolutely. And I appreciate that, that answer to you. Cause I, I think it'll be interesting to see how folks, uh, how, how folks decide to incorporate better tooling into their product suite or not because i, I think <laughs> yeah. that, i think that this is a big this is a big gap for for folks and like not everyone wants to go and like have to build a website in hubspot or you know on squarespace or whatever and then have mm -hmm. to worry about like trying to make sure that it's integrated with their pms like so a lot of people exactly. I, I think are moving to this hey how do we get an all-in-one sort of solution here um mm -hmm. and 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 i do think we're getting closer to that i i think that there's still some some room to grow especially on on the direct booking website builder side but uh excited yeah. to hear that you guys have an update coming and can't wait to see what that uh what that looks like i um yeah oh go but ahead i was go also ahead. yeah i was just gonna add to that like whatever you choose if that's a priority for you make sure that the property management software has a good api that's easy to work with because at the end of the day you want a seamless experience where the guest is like named you know, like as soon as they make the booking, it's like, hey, Zach, so excited to see you. And then Zach, your name and your experience should be like followed through at every single like touch point after that, which means that the API has to work seamlessly across not just the bookings website, but also the guest communications and also the direct, um, like the, the digital guidebook. So like that whole thing needs to be integrated and we can do that at Hostfully. Um, and actually our guidebook product has even been used with other property management software com hmm. companies uh, to integrate with them too. So you should be expecting that whatever solution you choose. Yeah. 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 No, that's uh, that's an incredibly like, uh, important, uh, insight you speaking, yeah. speaking of all of this, I, I did, um, I, I was doing some, uh, SEO research on, on you guys, uh, last night too. And I did, I ran mm -hmm. your website through my, my favorite, uh, uh, tool, SEMrush and uh -huh. you guys actually rank number one for best vacation, uh, rental website builder, which is, uh, yes. which is great. Right. And I, I wanted to just pick your brain as a, as a, you know, somebody who worked on, um, in marketing at Apple way back when, and like mm -hmm. clearly like, you know, marketing has been a, a, a key component of, of your career today. H how, yes. how do you think about hostfully marketing and like, how do you, like, what, what are some lessons you've learned about differentiation and, or, and, or, you know, um, uh, go to market strategies that you think are like really important for people to think about and, and consider, as they mm -hmm. think about their own business. Yeah. Well, the first thing is, and it actually goes back to this brand thing. Um, the brand is just how everybody interacts with you and what, and, and, and you really are trying to build trust at the end of the day, hmm. because if, if you don't have trust in the person you're talking to, whether it's on an ad or whether it's at a conference or whatever, they're not going to believe you. And then, you know, you don't really, it doesn't really matter what you say. So trust building is the most important thing. So when I think about marketing, I'm thinking about like, how do we talk about what we do 
and um, to to the market, but in a really trustful way. And so we've used SEO and content um, heavily. We've never leaned into paid ads actually mm. ever. Mm. Probably something we should probably figure out a little bit better than we have, but it's okay. Um, so, but in 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 being thought leadership content leaders, like we've been able to establish a really high level of trust. So it's not just in the like the SEMrush and HRF, like you know, domain ranking, domain authority kind of metrics, which are also important. But it's also just like if someone asks us a question, will we tell them the truth? Yeah. Yeah. Like that's really, really important. And it's, it's hard when you're an entrepreneur to walk that line of being positive and hopeful and optimistic and also telling the truth, yeah. but that's where the hard work comes in. And as you know, you're an entrepreneur, this is your podcast. You do this all the time. <laughs> like, you know, we always have to be walking that line of being like optimistic and hopeful about the future, but also like not overstepping like what we can deliver on. Yeah. And I think that's the way I think about marketing. So it's always, you know, then, then you end up getting, uh, really cool opportunities to talk about like more of your authentic self and to like be a little bit more mm, like not buttoned up about everything, yeah. you know, less perfect, make some mistakes. And people are like, it's okay. Like I know that they'll show up when I need them to, or that they, you know, they, or if you make a mistake, you got to own up to it and say, sorry. And people are like, Oh, well, you know, they, they don't lie. You know, they say sorry. Or when something messes up, they, they, they communicate that that's all marketing too. Yeah. yeah. So, so that's how I think about marketing. It's really like, telling the truth, maybe with a slightly more positive. Oh, you know what? Hang on. Sorry about that. No, no, you're good. I came back. Okay. So yeah, telling the truth, but maybe with like a slightly more positive spin on it. Um, but not, not, um, lying. Yeah. Well, I mean, and and (laughs) like, and it sounds so basic and yet it can be like so hard, right? Because, so hard. because you know, at, at the end of the day, everyone struggles with some aspect of imposter syndrome, right? And, totally. and, and the scale varies, but like everyone exactly. everyone feels like they shouldn't be able to do or say what they're doing or saying. <laughs> exactly. And every everybody starts out with nothing, right? Yeah. Like yeah. that that is yeah. the act of an entrepreneur. Hmm. You literally start out with literally nothing. And and you have imposter syndrome because you're like, well, who am I to be saying something to somebody? But you can do it. Yeah. And actually, I'm speaking on imposter syndrome next week at this the conference. I'm at. Oh. <laughs> um, but but um, yeah, it's, but it's starting out with nothing is it's so the, the act of the entrepreneur is actually to put together a plan that people believe you can achieve. And then you convince people to partake in that plan with mm. you. Mm. That's really what it is. Yeah. Yeah. I remember the first time I, um, I we, we, we shipped a product that we actually like asked people to pay for um and Mm -hmm. it was you know 49 bucks was like our starter tier and we have like a we had like a 99 dollar tier and then we had a 199 dollar tier and Mm -hmm. the 199 dollar tier i was like no one's gonna sign up for this right i remember the getting the stripe notification that like somebody had signed up for that that (laughs) tier and then freaking out because we hadn't like fully developed that product because i was like no one's gonna pay 200 bucks for this thing right and so exactly i'm like email i had to like email the the customer and be like hey like Are you uh, sure just so you know this is we're in beta right like that was like our catch-all like this is yeah. st- this tier is still in beta uh you know we'll, we'll you know and then you know we quickly like decided like okay we got to prioritize this but like yes. to, to your point like it's so funny you think no one's gonna do this or why would anyone pay yeah. that right like, like what is you know value right is is um is truly in the, in the eye of the beholder right beholder. um That's and right. uh it, it's just it, it's it's this beautiful exciting and also just terrifying thing uh especially when people pay you their money right for something which i'm sure you feel exactly you feel oh the worst the, the worst is when they give you their money to invest oh god <laughs> yeah i i'm scared like uh, those early yeah. angel investors i mean i was just like like you know you i actually really like the practice of like putting up a big disclaimer like angel investing it's very risky and blah 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 but like listen our angel investors are doing do great so like, <laughs> it worked out okay but i definitely uh it was hard for me to take money from other people you know especially a lot of money yeah, right um yeah, yeah. and are, i always felt kind of mixed about that as i was fundraising too well yeah. and and i'm glad you brought this up because you know you have a you you have a community that you uh, run for i believe it's like yes. moms that are that have founded like venture backed companies is that is that correct yes that's right well we it started out actually as kind of a bad joke which we were like oh great we should there's there, there were like a couple of us at a happy hour or something. We were like, oh, great. The moms group who founded venture companies, like there'll be like 12 people in the group. It'll be great. And then we started it. And then it was like all of a sudden, I mean, I think we have like I'm I'm on the admissions committee. So I get to see like how many people are coming in. I think we have like 350 or no, wow. 380 
members. Wow. Now, amazing. Um, all women who have uh, 300, yeah, 380 members, all women who have, um, who are active founders of venture backed companies, meaning they themselves have been raising money. It's really cool. And they're from all over the world. It's been amazing. Wow. Yeah, that is so that cool. Is, that is so amazing. I, I yeah. did want to pick your brain on that a little bit because, you know, we're obviously in, in an environment that's a little bit different than the, than the environment that we were a couple years ago where like cash yeah. was flowing and startups mm-hmm. were being acquired. And, and there was like, there was almost like, there was too much money in the system, yes. right? Uh, mm-hmm. In, in some sense, how, 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 from, from an entrepreneur's perspective, like yourself, who, who raised mm-hmm. kind of before this crazy, you know, spike, uh, how, how, how do you think about like the discipline of, mm-hmm. of using cash? Right. And, and like, and, mm-hmm. and, and what are, what's a lesson, you know, or two that you've learned during, mm-hmm. during this moment where, where things aren't as flowy as they were, you know, just, just a little while ago. Yeah. Well, I think you have to just like really here, let me. I'll wait until the doorbell stops. I think you have to really play out all the scenarios that you're trying to do. <clears throat> so like in cash management, you ha- you can't be like, oh, like we have enough runway for X months. Like, let's go for it. Like you have to say, okay, and then what, right? And then what, like, what are we going to be like then, right? Yeah. After we launch that product, after we get these customers, after we try to do what we want to do, then what happens? What is like, what is the growth rate going to look like? And don't, and it's okay to be like, well, I don't really know, but I'll put something reasonable out there. That's what cash management is about. It's yeah. about like trying to look ahead. And I really credit our board member Elaine for, for like pushing me. And it was uncomfortable for a while um, on, on this. Cause she was like, she's always kind of pushing me to think like nine months out, which is like a lot, like, mm. but in a lot of detail. Yeah. And this is where like getting a really, really solid financial plan in place with the budget is just so important. I did not appreciate this much when I was starting this company. I will never do it again without that. Um, it's okay if you don't have all the answers, but you really need to have a plan for how you're going to run things. Cause you, you are, you know, these are people's jobs and I mean, listen, companies fail and that's okay too. Like, yeah. I don't know who, who knows what's going to happen in the future. Yeah. But, um, if you don't have a plan that's realistic, like you're just not being very good at your job and yeah. going back to what we first talked about, like, that's just, table stakes kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I think that <clears throat> there is one thing I've noticed that a lot of the founders who did raise when cash was really flush got really bad advice hmm. from investors and maybe even other founders about how to manage cash. And so some of them um, are like, yeah, not thinking it through as much as I would like. Hmm. And uh, I am the one who's like giving them the bad news, the sobering news, like you got to cut 70% of your staff or yeah. like, or just stop now. And that's yeah. okay. It's okay to fail. Like yeah. there's no shame in this. And actually one of the things that's kind of cool about the group that the moms group is like, it's the only place where I've been where women are just like, yep, I'm shutting down the company. Yeah, It's, it's not going to work. And yeah. I could really use some support. How do I do this? And other women are like, I've been there. Yeah. Let's do it together. We'll figure it out. That's, amazing. that's the best part about being part of these entrepreneurial groups. You just yeah. have people who are like, if it will figure it out. That's yeah. the attitude. Yeah. Well, you hear you hear stats all the time, like ninety percent of startups fail or whatever. But then you, you don't really hear those stories, right? Like you you just hear the stories of the ones that win. Um, that's right. Oh, <laughs> that's exactly right. Or or if somebody does say the failure, they'll just say like something like, "Yeah, that just didn't work out," and then they'll just like move on. Yeah. But yeah. there's a lot more there. I mean, hopefully, <laughs> than it just didn't work out. Yeah. 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 Well, from, from your perspective. Um, as as an entrepreneur of of a technology yeah. company, right in in the in the hospitality space, like where do you see gaps? Like if there's somebody listening to this pod who maybe they worked at a startup um for for mm-hmm. you know last few years, but they're they want to go do something else. Maybe they they own a couple short term rentals and they're interested in the hospitality space. Like mm-hmm. from your vantage point, where where are their gaps? Mm-hmm. I think that one really big gap that exists, and I don't know how it will be solved. So maybe somebody out there will figure it out. But it's really about standards and like being able to set ex- like clear expectations with guests around like what the ex- what the experience will be mm. in the short term rental that they're staying in. And I think Airbnb has tried to do this with like Airbnb Plus, for example. Yeah. Um, but like it's still like really hit or miss when you stay in a short term rental. Like you don't know. Like maybe it just like smells weird, or yeah. like you know the beds are really uncomfortable or like there's not enough toilet paper. Like you just don't know until you get there. And I think that that's like a thing that Airbnb and short-term rental hosts don't 
do like hotels do. Mm. And somebody needs to solve this bigger problem around that. And uh, it's going to hold the industry back a lot, if not. Yeah. Um, so there's that one. I think uh, like what else? I, I do think that there there's still this kind of like ebb and flow of communities around um, hosts and property managers. And, and we were just talking um, before about how like there's all these like little pockets of communities in short-term rentals. Like there's like the old school VRMA, which is the vacation rental management association been around for a long time. It's like for the established property managers. And then there's like all these like pop-up communities like yours, right. Where people are, Airbnb hosting, just getting started, building their own business, like trying to figure it out much more tech forward. They like already have good fundamentals of like how to work in tech today, but like they could really use some of the hospitality, um, you know, sort of basics training stuff that that older old school industry offers. So I think there's still like kind of a bigger community thing that needs to happen. And hopefully we would love to be part of that actually. Um, Not exactly sure how to make that happen, but I I would love to see that happen. Uh, What other big gaps are there? Um, payment processing is still a really big challenge in our industry. We've got, you know, property managers and guests coming from different countries, different currencies, traveling mm-hmm. to different places. It's still a pain. I was just in Mexico and like, uh, if you book with one of the major platforms, it's fine. But like, if you're trying to do payments in a foreign country, it is just still really hard. And yeah. that market is really saturated too. So it's just a weird market. I don't, if I was an entrepreneur, I would not want to go there, but it's just like, <laughs> it's still a big gap. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, you know, I also think travel is still too hard. Like it's just hard to really find those local experiences. Mm, and yeah. And I, I honestly speaking as a woman, like it's still not safe enough for women to travel on their own. Mm. Like I was with some male colleagues uh, at a conference recently and we stayed at a short-term rental and it was on the ground floor and our host was amazing, like safe place. There was a security guard, but like I came home late at night and I told my colleagues like, oh, I would not want to walk up to this door by myself. And they were like, why? And I said, well, there could be like some dude in the bushes or something. Yeah, like, I don't yeah, know, you know, yeah. like it's it, like, I would love the world to be changed so that women don't have to worry about the kind of bullshit, even yeah. though we do. Yeah. Um, so I just, I just, that is something that will take a long time, unfortunately, <laughs> to figure <laughs> out. But I would love there to be a world where it's like, just feels more safe for women to travel on their yeah. own. Yeah. What, what do you think about, um, <clears throat> Like like the curation economy, right? And this idea yeah. of like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm thinking like this is not going to solve the, the the problem outright, but like I'm thinking about like a community or like a, a travel brand or whatever that specifically helps speak to women yes. and be like, hey, like I've we've verified this particular stay yes. as like yes. secure and like here like here's the safety rating or whatever. It just focuses on that. Like what are what are your thoughts on like curation economy stuff? Well there there have been. So there's a booking platform called Go Lightly that is just for that. And you oh, actually wow. have to join it's a pay pay to play um community, but it's just really hard to execute on that. Yeah. And I think uh yeah, it's just small things, you know? Um yeah. But I think, I think there's, there's like room, you know, this, it, I love, I love this new generation that is so much more demanding about that kind of stuff than previous generations have been. And I think it's just going to get better. Like people are just like, no, I don't, I'm not going to wait to do that anymore. Like, no, it's not okay that I don't feel safe. Like, whereas people before kind of grinned and bared it more. And I would say my generation is probably the last generation to, to do that. Um, so I think it's going to get better, but yeah, it'd be really cool if people invent some of those companies. I would love that. Yeah, <laughs> I do love like what like Lyft is doing, like a female driver yeah. rider thing. I yeah. think that's really cool. I, I could see that really working well too. Yeah, yeah, no, hundred yeah. percent. It'll be super, super cool to see how all this unfolds. Couple, couple final yeah. questions uh, before I let you go, Margo. One is just around, you know, you guys are a venture backed company, right? And, yeah. And, and I'm curious, like how do you think about an exit or how do you think about sort of like the, mm-hmm. the future uh, of Hostfully? I know that like mm-hmm. a lot is, you know, I'm sure unknown, but like what are, what can you tell us about like what, what's coming next and like where do you see this story unfold? How do you see this story unfolding? Well, I, I don't know if you can tell, but I love my job. <laughs> and I, and, um, so personally, I don't, I'm not in a rush. Like I didn't start this company so that I would have a big financial outcome. Um, I, I've done well in my life and my husband has also done well. And so like we, we live a, a nice life and I'm very privileged to, to have that. Um, so for me personally, like I think some entrepreneurs want that kind of like glory moment. And yeah. like, I just, that's just not 
my mission here. My mission is really to build a big company with as many happy customers and as many happy employees as I can. And that's my impact on the world versus like, you know, a big financial outcome. And I don't know, donating the money or, or whatever, controlling yeah. politicians. I don't have any interest in, in that. Um, <laughs> So it, for me, though, like, so Hostfully's raised $7 million um, over time. So it's not nothing, but it's not as much as our competitors. Yeah. I think that um, whatever we decide to do in the future will be just really finding the right people to work with. Like, we feel like we have a really good thing going with the way that we've run the company and yeah. how we've grown to this point. And I am not going to give that away to anybody. Yeah. Um, and, um, but at the same time, I'm not like very possessive about things. So like, if, you know, like I... I think I'm doing fine as a CEO, but if someday like I'm not the best fit, like that's okay too. Like yeah. I'm, I'm open to that, but I just like really don't want to lose this heritage and culture that we have on the team. Yeah. Um, I think it serves us really well and it helps us to just be better. Yeah. And so I don't want to give that up. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Very well said. Very well said. Um, and final question for you for, for now, at least Margo, um, mm -hmm. I might have to have you back on because this has been such a fun conversation, but, uh, <laughs> but like, what, what are some hot takes you have on, on like the future of, of travel and hospitality? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, um, by the way, if people want to hear my original pitch, you can go listen to the pitch podcast. Ah. Uh, I was on that and I ended up raising like about $3 million came from that. So if I just want to I know that you you have a lot of listeners on your show that are into that. So like, amazing. It's from a long time ago, but you can go look it up. I'll go ahead and link it in um, the show notes too for anyone <laughs> for anyone listening that wants to go. Uh, okay, check cool. Out yeah, there were a couple follow up episodes, and um, they're really nice over there too to me. But anyway, uh, predictions for the future. So AI, we are in a huge hype cycle for AI, and I think that 2024 is going to be like the year of like huge successes and huge failures yeah. <laughs> in AI. And I think people are going to like exit the year feeling more suspicious than they are in the beginning of the year around mm. what AI can do for them. Mm. I think AI is here to stay. It will do amazing things for us, but I think we're in like a, you know, a big five year, 10 year kind of like development cycle where people are really figuring out how to use these tools, what they can do for you, where they break, how, how they can work, you know, just more maturity of that. So I think AI is going to be a really hot topic in the new year. Um, I think the guest experience and standardization is going to be even more important than ever before. Um, just like what we talked about, you know, just being able to expect what the travel experience is going to feel like when you go somewhere is so important and yeah. short-term rentals needs to step up and figure out how they're going to solve that uh, both on an individual basis and also as on an industry-wide basis. I think that, um, there, uh, this, this idea around like values-based travel, which is mm. like, um, you know, traveling and staying with companies that are living and breathing the same values as you is, is going to continue, um, and get stronger companies that are focused on sustainability of around, uh, that are focused on fair treatment of their employees that are focused on like incorporation and like, um, nourishing their local communities it's going to be a thing and i think like communities are a big thing to stay to like i think younger generations know how better to connect with each other yeah. and like find cooler ways of, of building things from that so that's really cool um i also think that there will be more founders who are women who are people of color um who are iterating on things i think even though capital is still harder to get for those kinds of founders than others by a long shot you still, there's just, it's more accessible. There's more low code, no code ways yeah. of starting companies. Um, I think people are seeing, like you said, like what if there's a company that's like just built for like this one kind of traveler? Like I know a woman who is building a company that's just built for like um, people who have challenges with, with abilities, like disabilities, mm. uh, travelers, you know, whether they're invisible or visible disabilities. So I think like those kind of companies are going to keep coming up and it's going to take multiple times at bat for one of them to hit a home run. Um, and that's, that's okay. But we all are going to be contributing to that, uh, which is going to be a good thing. Yeah. So I think it's, it's overall like optimistic, I yeah. would say. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, you just got me excited. Uh, I, I, I'm very, very uh, thankful, Margo, for, for your time, for the incredible company that, you, that you're building. And for, for our listeners, if you want to learn more about Margo, if you want to learn a little bit more about Hostfully, I'll have all the links in the show notes below. We'll link to the podcast she mentioned uh, earlier that she was on, The Pitch. Um, and then if you are looking for a PMS, maybe your first PMS, if maybe you've gotten a, a few short-term rentals under your belt and you're you're ready to take this to the next level or you are interested in starting 
starting a co-hosting business or whatever it is, uh, mm-hmm. from everything Margo shared with us today, it sounds like Hostfully might be a, a great first uh, first stop, uh, at least yeah. on, on your journey to building your business. So Margo, thank you so much for the great work that you and your team do, and, and thanks so much for your time today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Zach. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Behind the Stays. I'd love to know what you thought of the episode. Feel free to shoot me an email directly at Zach, that's Z-A-C-H, at spontaneous.com, or find me on X, formerly Twitter, at ZBoozy, that's Z-B-O-O-Z-E-E, or on LinkedIn at Zach Cruz. If this is your first time tuning in, it's a pleasure to have you, and we hope to have you back again soon. If you've been a listener for a while, though, I'd greatly appreciate if you could subscribe and then leave us a rating and review of the show wherever you are currently streaming this podcast. Last but certainly not least, Spontaneous and Behind the Stays are totally bootstrapped, and my ability to bring you these stories is only possible because of our incredible advertising partners. We're very much a startup show, and while our growth rate is amazing, thanks to all you who keep tuning in and sharing our show with your friends and family, we haven't quote-unquote made it yet. So if you could do me a huge favor and go and check out the sponsor for today's episode in the show notes below, I would greatly appreciate it. Even if their offering doesn't make sense for you right now, sending them a quick message on social or an email, just saying that you're listening to the show and you appreciate their support would be incredibly amazing. All right, friends, thank you so much. Enjoy the rest of your day and we will see you on the next episode of Behind the Stays.